0: For the Peterson Automotive Museum, this is Car Stories. My name is AJ. Today I am joined with Racing Legend Parnelli Jones. Parnelli Jones is a part of a documentary his family made called Godspeed, The Story of Paige Jones. It's a incredible touching and moving documentary about his son, Paige. You could check it out at Godspeedpj.com. The movie is Godspeed. The story of Paige Jones, Mr. Pernally Jones, thank you so much for coming in today.
1: Well, thank you. That's-
0: Before we get into the documentary and your long career and your family, let's start back to the very beginning with you. What is your earliest automotive memory?
1: <laughs> Probably when I was born, I guess I came yeah. home in the car. <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, I, uh- when I, I was into horses, when, when I turned 16 years old, I had sold my horse and bought a hot rod. And it was kind of a radical car and needed a lot of maintenance, so to speak. And I had a mechanic that uh, was a friend of mine, and I used to wash parts in after school, and uh, he'd work on my car.
0: And what made, you, <clears throat> what made you want to get that hot rod? Was it the idea is you wanted to eventually go racing?
1: Well, I was fascinated by the uh, t- uh, 23 bucket T, and that's what it was, because I had in a race at uh, Ascot, Old Carroll Speedway, actually, and uh, and Troy Rutman was the driver, and he's driving one of these t- 23 T bucket uh, hot rods, and he started in the back and won the race, and so it created a fondness for that kind of car.
0: And Mm. how soon after you got that hot Mm. rod did you start to go racing?
1: Well, uh, quite a while later because, uh, of course, I was only 17 when I ran my first race. And that was at the same basic track, and they had an old B course. And uh, my cousin uh, had had made a whole jalopy because I was working in the shop on my own car thought I ought to help him. So that gave me an an opportunity to warm up the car and stuff like that. That kind of opened the door, so to speak.
0: Did you realize Mm. right away, were you good at it? Did you pick it up naturally? Or was it something you really had to learn Uh, learn how to do?
1: Well, I was fascinated with it, but I really had to learn. Uh, After wrecking my car week after week, I blew the engine up and didn't have enough money to fix it. And uh guy told me he'd build an engine for my car if I'd just slow down and quit trying to win the race in the first corner, and then finally something clicked. But I had all this desire, no talent, so I was learning on the way up, and uh, again, like I said, crashed my car a lot.
0: What uh, What were some of the races and some of the things you were doing on the way up? What What How do you get from you know, being a, uh, driving around in a racing an old jalopy and blowing engines to the Indy 500?
1: Well, it doesn't come easy. I mean, obviously, I climbed the ladder. Once I realized that I w- had, had some talent, well, actually, I didn't have any talent, but I'd earned my way, so to speak, and was able to keep my car out of, out of trouble, I started winning races, and so... Uh, you win enough races, you get invited into different divisions of racing, and <clears throat> I climbed that ladder, so to speak, to midget sprint cars.
0: And did it, at what age do you think it kind of clicked for you? Of, I'm not going to be a lawyer. I'm. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a race car driver.
1: Well, I was fascinated by the amount of money that I was could make, and it was nothing hardly, but I was taking forty, fifty dollars a week home and Racing three, two or three nights a week, and uh, I uh, was putting the money in the bank. And of course, I was living at home, and I thought that was really something. I thought if I could ever just make ten thousand dollars, I'd be rich forever.
0: <laughs> well, I'm, I hopefully you've made at least ten thousand dollars in your racing career since then. Um, what was your first big race? What What was the you know? Because it had to have been before the Indy 500. What was the first race where you went, wow, this is the big time?
1: Well, actually, I had a lot of great wins in the jalopies. And we used to run every Sunday at Gardena Stadium. And, and that propelled me. A lot of people got a lot of – I got a lot of recognition because they – even though they might have a sprint car or stock car or something, they could see me run on Sunday. And I, that's probably why I got invited – quickly into other divisions, but I went into uh, some modest, modifieds, won the first race I was in, and went into midgets and finished second in the championship the first year, and uh, went into sprint cars and style eight model stock cars, actually came out of NASCAR before I went into IndyCar racing, so I won a lot of West Coast stock car races.
0: Was there ever a favorite type of car, or favorite type of race? Um, did you like sort of the full body of driving a stock car? Did you prefer sort of the, the agility of an open-wheel car?
1: Well, uh, yeah, you just realize that open-wheel cars were a lot more dangerous than the stock cars. Yeah. So, you know, you have, certainly have more respect. You know, you can bend the fenders on a stock car, but you can't play that same game in a sprint car. Was the
0: was the danger ever a worry for you?
1: Well, yeah, you always have it in the back of your mind. You have to have respect, and I think that's, you know, I was very fortunate not to have any, you know, spending any nights in the hospital. My whole year, whole career, I, I never spent a night in the hospital. But so uh, that was really, really something. I mean, that's I had a lot of luck in that, too.
0: Do you think it's more luck though, or do you think it's more you i mean do you think it was more like you said your your respect for the car and the people around you? Well, I think
1: it's both yeah I mean you have to have you can you have to have fortune you know you have to be fortunate to not stay out of trouble and and not that I didn't get in trouble and had a frac now and then it's just that I was fortunate not to get hurt
0: hmm and when you hit the big time when you're at Indy, and you're at the Indy 500 for the first time. What feeling is that like for a young Parnelli Jones?
1: Well, I was pretty well established by the time I got an invitation there. I could have went to Indianapolis two or three years before I did. Uh, But I wanted when I finally went, decided to go to Indy, I wanted to make sure I had a car that I could be competitive with. And I probably waited maybe a year or so. I could have went, should have maybe went sooner because when I got there, I found out these guys put their pants on just like I do. Yeah. So they were, you know, in fact, I went out and practiced and Jim Rathman had won the year before and I passed him coming off the corner and I didn't know him that well and he came over to me afterwards at my garage and he says, how'd you do that, kid? You know, so that, that gave me a lot of confidence and that I was capable of doing it my rookie year I said uh, you know I led the race for 27 laps was going away and I got uh, lost a cylinder in the engine
0: is the track mm-hmm. as tough as people say it is because you know it's such an iconic you know four turn oval shape um, but everyone and but it's very flat and people go you don't realize just how hard you're pulling in those turns
1: well actually the all L3- 3 Four corners are different. Yeah, you know that's one of the things. Turn one's the roughest corner, and uh, I'd say probably four between one and four are probably the roughest corners. But you just have to be able to learn to uh, negotiate them to the best you can, you know. But it's downhill and seems like in the front straightaway, and uphill down the back straightaway. So you know, it makes a little bit of difference just in the, it feels like in the banking.
0: And what was it like in a, what I find so fascinating, and I think I'm looking at a picture of it right behind you, is your turbine car. Yeah. You you drove it in.
1: Yeah. How did the idea
0: of you racing this very experimental car come about?
1: Well, I'd already, you know, fortunately had won, and I should have won two or three times more. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, Andy Granatelli, I, he wanted me to take a, Uh, When I was doing tire tests, he wanted me to take a ride in the Novi, which I did and uh, ran faster than anybody had ever ran in it. From that time on, he was hounding me week after week to drive for him. Of course, I wouldn't drive the Novi because it wasn't very reliable. Excuse me. Anyway, uh, so when he started to do the turbine, he had it just about finished and he invited me to come over and see it. And when I did, I saw, you know, something that was probably not going to work very well. But it did. It did.
0: It was a a great car up until the last lap.
1: Yeah, what happened was, so (laughs) I said, well, I'm going to test my car over at Phoenix, bring it over there. I'll take a ride in it. So the more I drove it, the more I, I got interested in it and everything else. So now when I left there, I had very mixed emotions about whether... I wanted to drive it or not because, uh, you know, I just didn't know if it was that going to be that good as, as it was. <clears throat> anyway, uh, so uh, I figured it, fi- it was a financial thing, so I made a financial deal out of it. My Andy Asking Andy for a lot of money to drive it, and he paid me. So I knew then that uh, I'd go back. I figured I could make the race with it see how good it was and actually it wasn't very good in qualifying because in the <clears throat> seven years that I drove there I started sixth second row outside and that was my worst starting thought and everybody thought I was sandbagging but a lot of reason they did is the thing had a lot of torque <clears throat> it would run gar- real hard coming out of the corners across the short straightaways and out onto the long straightaways but about halfway down it would quit accelerating. So the guys, when they were out practicing, running real light loads of fuel and 10 or 15% nitro in their fuel, like Mario and, and Foyt and Andretti. So <clears throat> anyway, I knew race day when they put on 75 gallons of fuel how much we were carrying mm-hmm. and took that 10 or 15% nitro so they'd get fuel mileage they probably wouldn't have enough to get by me. Basically, that's what happened. But they accused me of sandbagging because I was so dominant in the race. Because uh, when that happened there, I mean, I just could consistently run almost as fast as I qualified.
0: Uh, who were some of the people you loved to race with back then? Who, who were your, some of your favorites to be on the track during that time?
1: Well, most of my careers were, of course, against A.J. and Foyt. And Sachs and Branson and, and Herdabe's and a lot of other you know Good Ray Roger McCluskey and we had a lot of uh, a lot of good race drivers back then and, and then dangerous sports but we ran I ran midgets sprint cars, stock cars, sports cars indie cars all at the same time.
0: And, and that's what I think I find fascinating <clears throat> and maybe it's because you know Mario Andretti did a lot of that too did a little bit of everything. And maybe it was racers of your era. You guys could just sit in anything. You know, you don't see an F one driver really go to Baja or go to a NASCAR driver. You know, sometimes they'll go to Indy, but it's they racers aren't as diverse as they were back then. Were you just sort of put strap me in? I'll go no matter. It doesn't matter what direction (laughs) or what the if it's dirt Uh, or cement.
1: Well, I'm the kind of guy that likes to see what's on the other side of the hill, anyway. Yeah. That probably played a part in it. But, uh, you know, it's just, uh, we, you know, we big races were the car races. You know, and they always seemed to land on Sunday. And then we had a lot of races on Saturday night and Friday night during the week. They have midget races and stuff like that. So there was a period there for a while that I did about 65 races a year.
0: And what about the off-roading? Because I, even if you never would have won Indy, you would have had just as large a name of yourself doing Baja and running in and off-roading. So what? What led you down that that dirt path?
1: <laughs> well, I couldn't stay on any road. Yeah. So, no, actually, uh, I was heckled into it by. I drove stock cars and won a championship for Bill Strop in a Ford Mercury, actually. And uh, anyway, uh, he, uh, since I was driving for him, he says, "Why don't you come and do the Baja or the." meant 400 at that time. And I said, uh, well, I don't think it's my bag, Bill. You know, and he said, well, you're probably not man enough to do it anyway. So that was like throwing a red flag.
0: That's all took. Yeah.
1: So I got in and literally destroyed the car. Ran the thing until I blew the front tires off of it. Ran it until the rims cauliflowered themselves around the back in place. Had to take a torch to cut them off. Of course, we were out of the race, but I realized that i it was a fun recreational thing that I was having a lot of fun doing. Of course, the equipment, I wasn't supposed to tear the equipment up. Like
0: no, that. I can't imagine your mechanics <laughs> were too happy about that.
1: But anyway, I uh, decided to do the Baja 1000. and I got about 250 miles down the course in the 1000 and tore the front end out of that. And uh, so then Bill later had a prototype Bronco that he built. And I said, Bill, and it was a two-wheel drive. And I said, that's what I want for a race car. And he said, okay. And so we made a race car out of it, and I won the Baja 500 with it.
0: And this is Big Ollie.
1: No, this was oh. before Big Oli. Oh, okay. So once that happened, then I uh, <clears throat> knew exactly what I wanted, and that's when I built big oldie, and I told Bill to build, try to get him to build what I wanted, and he thought no, I was too far away from a Ford production car, and so <clears throat> I had uh, Dick Russell, who worked for, was a mechanic for Strop, he said, I'll build it at home, so we started making drawings for lunch and on the car, and we built, he built, had it just about three quarters of the way done. Hillstrop found out about it, got mad, made us bring it up, and we finished it there. And, uh, anyway, the first year I was long gone in it, <clears throat> but another guy that was one of the guys I had to meet, I was about 250 miles down the course, and uh, he went driving by while I was in the pits. And so I, because he had a pre-runner look just like his race car, and it was his free-runner guys. So they went down the road and pulled pulled off, and I took off trying to catch that dust, which wasn't there. Anyway, I overdrove it and got off the road and bent the rear end house. But then I found out afterwards that he had a tremendous lead, and that was his uh, crew that ran by ran out there. And uh, so anyway, I knew if the next year if I uh, just used my head a little bit more and not drive it so hard and i could win
0: that seems to be an ongoing theme
1: <laughs> yeah well i wasn't the smartest race driver in the world by any means no but it, it seems like
0: the one once you 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 know all you want to do is win but it's it's a marathon and it's it's not a sprint and it, you know you got to respect the car and it seems like you know especially when you Parnelli jones do that at its best is that's when you're winning
1: well, well you, have to, you have to run about 90% of your capabilities. You've got to back it down because there's too many things out there that can bite you. And knowing the course really plays a great part in that as well.
0: And now when you are moving towards the end of your career and you have two sons, Paige and PJ, growing up, could you immediately tell if they had the same gene in them as you of they wanted to
1: race? <laughs> Well, I don't know, the you know, the first toy that gets a race car, and your friends pop them up on their lap and say, you're going to be a race car driver like your father? Yeah, yeah, so they get programmed right off the bat. But, but they were both, uh, went to uh, mechanical things real, real quick. I mean, both of them learned to ride a motorcycle when they were four years old. So they just adopted to anything that run fast or equipment, so... I bought them a couple of uh, uh, go-karts and, uh, you know, just for them to play out in the parking lots and stuff like that. Pretty soon they had a race at Ascot, and they wanted to go out there and race. So I procrastinated for about three weeks because every week they'd holler, Come on, Dad, come home from work. we we'll take us to the deal. It was a night race, and finally but I couldn't run out of time and I finally had to take them.
0: Was there part of you, though, that didn't want to take them and didn't want them to race? Well, I didn't want
1: them to race, no, in the first place. You know, because it's a dangerous sport. And, you know, and, uh, but anyway, uh, I went out there and first night, uh, P.J. won his race and, uh, Paige crashed, but the little one. But, uh, that started the whole thing and then it was all over then. They had to keep on doing it.
0: And, you know, I I unfortunately first learned about your son, Paige, when I saw your documentary, uh, Godspeed, the story of Paige Jones. And what surprised me was is PJ and Paige, but especially Paige, was a phenom. I mean, was you saw this young, talented driver, Who was going to be, I mean, it's like seeing a young Michael Jordan coming up or or a young Tiger Woods and, you know, was robbed of that when he got, unfortunately, into an accident in sprint cars. What was was sort of going through your head when that accident first happened?
1: Well, actually, uh, you know, you're right. Page was really a comer. I mean, he won 18 out of 42 races the year before, and he was you know, in all different kinds of cars, stock cars, and he ran in, well, you know, in uh, open-wheel cars and pavement and dirt and everything else. But when he got hurt, uh, you know, I, I thought, well, he just, he's all right, you know, he's not that bad. Because accidents happen. And yeah, You're, you're in a yeah, cage, you've got an element. Yeah. And his accident look, didn't look that bad from what I'd heard about it. You know, he said he, fl- he lost the front end and flipped, and the guy running... Second run in the top of his car, but anyway, I called to see how he was. He was in the hospital at uh, in uh, Ohio, and I said, and the doctor told me. I said I talked to the doctor, and the doctor says, I think you better get here, So Mister Jones, and I. That really hit me right there. So I knew then he was hurt pretty good. So, and it's the worst day of my life.
0: And it's a call nobody wants to get. And, yeah. and especially, you know, I think that's probably the transition of when you went from race car driver to race car driver back to father and son. Yeah. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know, Paige um, received severe brain trauma um, and a brain injury where most people, I would say 99% of people, maybe one wouldn't have lived after this accident uh but two wouldn't have made a comeback and or a rehabilitation and this documentary that I found so moving is it's not about a race car driver i mean it's there's racing involved, but it's it's a one of the greatest stories of a fight for survival and a fight to come back that I've ever seen um what what you know when did you, you know, start to sort of think, you know, we're not going to, you know, I don't know how to phrase this, but there was a lot of negative, a lot of negativity around he might not live. And then he might be, you know, Paige might be brain dead the rest of his life. Um, Did you have the fat sort of fight in you of the race car driver of no, he will? No, we'll help him. I mean, it seemed like your guys' determination and his determination is really what saved his life is, no, he's not going to just be in a bed the rest of his life. He is going to lead a life again and walk again and talk again.
1: Well, let me tell you, <clears throat> they didn't think he was going to live the first three days. <clears throat> and He went through that. And the lady there, the was a nurse, said, I guarantee you he's not going to walk out of this hospital. I said, what do you mean? I mean, I wanted to slap her, you know. I didn't didn't want to accept that. And anyway, she was more right than I was. So we sent him from Ohio. He spent a month there and we sent him to California because it was the best place he could get the best treatment. And they told us we're going to have to have 24 hour help for the rest of his life. And all the handicapped and wheelchair and bathroom and service plate to stretch him and all that. I mean, and
0: his quality of life was, if he did live, was going to be terrible.
1: Yeah, it was going to be terrible. And Judy and I never accepted that. We just said, there's a better way. And uh, so we just pushed and pushed. And I can remember week after week, you know, wishing that he, he could just get that little bit better, just a little bit better. We never accepted that he wasn't. Judy and I never ever accepted that he was going to. This is where he's going to stop. And so we just pushed and pushed. And like I say, they don't—they give you the worst scenarios. And Page came through it all really well. And that's
0: the incredible story. Is it's it's still an ongoing battle, and this is over twenty years later. Um, it has taken Paige to make this recovery, and I had the pleasure of meeting your son. I, you would never have known. I mean, he, if you talk to your son, you would never think, here's someone who should have been a vegetable his whole life. He is one of the happiest, uh, effervescent people I, I've ever met. But, it, you know, do you think it's that, do you think it was what's in him that made him such a good race car driver? is also, the you know, what gave him the fight to to rehabilitate himself?
1: Well, you know, there's a lot of good race drivers out there. They're lacking a little bit of desire. One thing I can say about both my boys, myself, Judy as well, we don't lack any des- thing from, but desire and will to win. You know, it, it's that type of thing. You know, I think all of us have, in fact, we used to go on vacation. We'd all take our own car because. Oh, you know, I wanted to win. I mean we all you know our leaders, so to speak and uh of course, we had a great friend in in Rich Sloan, and Rich Sloan was filmed all of his recovery and page Page is pretty popular, so anyway, we had all this film in the can, and that's when the movie people, like Mary got a hold of it. They went to lunch one day and she found out a story about Paige. And so she did she thought well we ought to do a film on this. So that's how it all came about.
0: And and it is, like I said, it, it's a documentary not just for someone who wants to see some race cars or you know, just anyone who wants to see a good story of will and the fight for survival and determination Uh, you really should check out Godspeed, the story of Paige Jones. We'll put the links up at carstories.com. And also you can go to godspeedpj.com. Now that your son is, you know, he's happy, he's healthy, he has kids and he's married. um, How do you sort of, do you have a skewed view on the safety of racing now? You know, because unfortunately, not as bad as, you know, when you were racing, but We're still dealing with deaths in racing, you know, recently with Justin Wilson in IndyCar and uh, Jules Bianchi in Formula One. Is there a part, I mean, are you, do you have a a more, you know, personal look at it um, or do you still sort of think of this is what we're here to do? We're here to race and unfortunately this is a part of what we do.
1: Well, racing's never been totally safe yeah. That's for sure. We know racing is dangerous. although I think today's races are a lot safer than they were in our day. I mean, you have you know, the score safe walls, you know, on the tracks and you have the Hant's device which helps their neck and stuff like that. But the two race the two race drivers you mentioned, Wilson and the other gentleman in Formula One, both are kind of freak accidents. Yeah. And uh you know, when something flies off a car and hits you in the head, I mean, you know, it's pretty freakish, really, because, they, <clears throat> but uh, I don't know, you, you know, we may try to do as, make it as safe as we can, but it's certainly a lot safer today with the construction of the cars and everything than it used to be. So, I don't know where we go from here, but uh, certainly we'll do everything in the our powers to make it safer as we can.
0: Knowing the dangers and knowing, you know, the life, you know, the historic life you had, the young Parnelli Jones with that tea bucket roadster, yeah. would you still have traded your horse for the hot rod?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I I have had, I mean, if it wasn't for Page's accident, I've had a glorified career, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, that's the only setback I've had in life
0: and even then it it you know it's it's a few steps back but it's miles forward um because i think what you guys the story you've been able to tell um really about how brain injuries affect so many people in the world and you know unlike cancer um or some of these diseases head injuries need even more attention sometimes and more funding and more Acknowledgement, And I think this documentary is really going to bring light to that. So um, it, it's going to help so many people in so many ways. Everybody, go to carstories.com to get the links, uh, and you'll see the trailer for Godspeed, the story of Paige Jones. Or, and check out uh, godspeedpj.com. Uh, Mr. Jones, thank you so much for take, let me take up your time.
1: Thank you.